I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Rick Kelly. And we love to watch. We love to watch Robin Hood's Bath Time. Hey guys, how you doing? We have Rick Kelly back on our podcast. What is happening? Aside from me struggling terribly with my technical difficulties, thanks guys for putting up with me. Yeah, no worries. Uh, yeah, so it's so just so everyone, all the listeners know, it's one in the morning. Uh, we normally start <laughs> at like nine p.m. Central Standard Time. We got a little bit of a late start, but we're ready to go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, until the sun comes up or we have to go to work, whatever comes first. Yeah. Sounds great. We're ready for you to hear us on the podcast. Peter and I have been working so hard at this to get this right that we actually announced the, th- the new theme of the month and the episode. First thing. Here we go. Uh, this is 90s November Nostalgia. And we are starting this month with uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, directed by Kevin Reynolds and starring, I don't know, Kevin Costner or at least blank mannequin potentially in some of the scenes <laughs> <laughs> with with a mullet wig. I don't know, man. His accent is so convincing that I just I just transported to medieval England. I thought I don't know. I, I thought I'd gone through a time machine. It's a, yeah, it is. It's un, it's uncanny. It's like kind of creepy, actually. <laughs> uh, on the bright side, it fits well with everyone else's terrible uh, British accent. <laughs> and Morgan Freeman's uh, weird uh, half American, half uh, Turkish Arab accent, North African. For Morgan Freeman, like national acting treasure, has just just as bad of an accent that he's trying to do as yeah, Kevin Costner. It, it actually, I think we, we'll have to get into it, but I think it really is true that, you know, Costner picks up a lot of the heat, but man, everybody, everybody. Just just speak in your normal voice. No one would have gave a shit. No one. Everybody but Alan Rickman yeah. is is pretty much terrible. I like Michael Wincott as well, but... Yeah, so uh, we're going to get into it. I, I feel like we're tipping our hands a little bit into oh, what kind yeah, of yeah. episode this is going to be. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're going to get into it a little bit more. Uh, first, so last time uh, Kel- Rick Kelly was on our podcast, it was not called We Love to Watch. It was called Listen to Our Podcast. That's true. Uh, he was on for our Predator 2 episode, one of our most listened to episodes. So... We'll be watching the numbers very closely and making sure that you hit the same quota <laughs> Good. that you hit last time. But there, there um, is there's incentive pay, right? Like that's how this works. That was my assumption. Yeah, uh, this is this is tiered pay. Yeah. Good. <laughs> uh, yeah, everything is multiplied by zero. 
I'd hate, to, I'd, I'd hate to think I was doing this for free. Uh, it's funny because last time Rick was on the show, he asked if there was actual prizes for the game that we're playing. Yeah. And now he's now he's asking uh, if we're going to be paying him based on tiers. So you doing OK, Rick? I, no, I'm really I'm really broke. Aaron. I'm really, okay. really broke. Listeners, call in. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to start. A, we love to watch GoFundMe. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rick, you can tell us a little bit more about yourself because it has been, like I mentioned, like five or six months since you've been on the podcast. We want to make sure, uh, it, as we've picked up new listeners, that they get to find out three new things about you. But we'll definitely, uh, you know, one thing that I'm sure that you'll mention is your blog, which has some of the best film writing out there. So I don't know the level of financial difficulty Rick is in, but I would highly recommend visiting his blog and contributing to his Patreon. Yeah. Thanks so much, man. Yeah. Uh, LudditeRobot.com is my blog. Um write about film over there. Other stuff going on. People might not know about me. Uh, I'm just starting a, a company with a friend to uh, set up marijuana nurseries in California. So that's pretty rad. It's also solidarityseeds.org. You should go there and follow our uh, weird endeavor. That'll be neat. It's oh. a really cool idea. Yeah. I've been reading through a lot of Rick's proposals and how he sort of, of uh, explained the idea, and it's really, really cool what he's doing. Yeah. So and honestly, our phone lines are lighting up. That's the <laughs> first time anyone's ever called in. So. Yeah, totally. So if if you if you're uh, you know if you're opposed to Monsanto and you and or you love weed, you should totally check us out. Um, so I'm doing that. I think those two things are a hundred percent of the country. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. So that's we're we're banking. If you on know it. who Monsanto is? You probably hate them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Monsanto sucks and weed is awesome. So that's great. Yeah, and yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, one other thing, I actually saw the movie uh, that we're discussing today for the first time at a drive-in in, in uh, nineteen ninety-one. So in in Tempe, Arizona. So there's there's a factoid for you. You can write that down in Number your four, yearbooks. Rick's really well traveled. Just about 13 years old, visiting my sister at college. And uh, I was really convinced that I was going to like hit it off with a college girl. But it turns out that college girls <laughs> don't really aren't really that interested in 12 year olds for the most part. So that didn't work out for me. Times have changed. <laughs> times have changed <laughs> you know you know chicks who are always like man i wish my man was uh more irresponsible and more immature yeah. <laughs> it's the dream man if you're not dating a guy with velcro shoes <laughs> what are we doing? i am i'll say i'm disappointed that in you rick that you couldn't even lie to us and say that you were listening to brian adams waking up the neighbors <laughs> on your way to see robin Hood, prince of thieves like if you cared about us at all yeah i'm you sorry would have said that i'm sorry yeah well, i imagine 75 percent of this podcast is going to be about brian adams waking up the neighbors album <laughs> it's, it's the it's it's one of the first albums i ever bought and it's my first concert ever is his Waking Up the Neighbors tour. What is what is Brian Adams' uh, other big song? Is it Summer of 69? Is that him? Yeah, that was on Reckless, which came out two years before, okay. or three years before, 1989 or 88. Uh, and Waking Up the Neighbors actually came out in 92. So after this movie. You guys you guys remember the, uh, or do you know the, the sort of country folk guy, Ryan Adams? Yes. Yep. Yeah, he's like fronted Whiskey Town and stuff. Did you, did yeah. you, ever, hear, mm -hmm. you ever hear the stories about how he would like, 
he like shut down shows and left the stage because people were just like, play Summer 69. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he does not care for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's like way worse than Freebird somehow. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I got to tell you, if you are a musician and your name is Ryan Adams, you got to accept it. Yeah, you no, it's going to go happen. in, either change your name or or come to grips with it because yeah like if my name was bill collins <laughs> and i wanted to be a musician like i'm gonna have to respect that people are gonna be requesting in the air tonight yeah totally people have been making r kelly jokes at me for fucking you know 20 years it's just how it is you know yeah and well your parents most of all by naming you r kelly yeah that was a good joke <laughs> yeah they were big chocolate factory fans <laughs> 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 Uh, so, anyways, yeah, we're gonna we have a lot to talk about Robin Hood. First, though, we're gonna quickly. I know it's uh, the second week in November for you people listening. Uh, you're probably completely done with Spooktober, but uh, Peter and I are gonna go through, and Rick's gonna share some of his movies that he got a chance to watch as well. So, we're gonna quickly go through and kind of finish off our Spooktober watching recaps. Uh, say what we watched, and also kind of go through some of the best, the ones that we would call the best and the worst. Um, I'll, I'll go really quick. Uh, Killer Workout, uh, I watched, which has a fucking crazy twist. Uh, but beyond that is, it's not as much fun as some other, uh, 80s horror spa related, uh, horror movies like, uh, uh, Death Spa. Uh, I watched City of the Living Dead, which is now my favorite, uh, Fulci movie. Uh, Equinox. Yeah, really good. Uh, so gross too. (laughs) Like wonderfully, wonderfully gross. Equinox, you know, Peter. When you when you said it's kind of like a proto Evil Dead, I was like, hmm, that doesn't sound right to me. And then I watched it. I'm like, holy shit! Sam Raimi took a lot of stuff out of this. Yeah, um, it's e- Equinox is a mess of a movie, but it's it's really fun. I still haven't decided if I like it or not because <laughs> it 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 veers so hard between boring and interesting in any given ten minute section. Yeah, I felt I felt good about watching. Like it was definitely one of those. I'm glad I watched it, but I'm glad I didn't blind by it type thing. Yeah, um, yeah. Carnival of Souls, which blew me the fuck away. Like absolute masterpiece. Spoiler: it's my it's my favorite movie that I watched over Spooktober. F- favorite first time watch. I'm actually kind of annoyed because like I really like Mystery Science Theater 3000. As such, like go back and forth on how much I like Rift Tracks because I feel like they've. So are sometimes still very funny, but sometimes just are like, we make fun of everything now, which wasn't quite... It feels like they're missing the point of Mystery Science Theater 3000 sure. sometimes. But I was under the impression that that movie was bad because they have kind of spent... I know there was a recent interview that everyone talked about because it was... Uh, they did a theatrical showing, but they have been taught... They've, they've riffed on it for years and I kind of thought it was like a House on Haunted Hill, where it's not bad, but it's just kind of goofy fifties horror fun. Or I didn't realize it's like f- fucking proto David Lynch, and just this, um, like it just blew me away. I absolutely loved it. Onababa, which uh, was really really good. Great. Yeah, that movie creeped me out when I, I. It was probably my first like foreign uh, horror movie I ever saw, not other than like the Ringu or something. Great film. Do you, uh, do you see Current Echo as well? No, it was on my list. And I didn't get to it this year. Yeah, um, they share a lot. I watched uh, uh, Vampire from 1932. The last half hour is amazing. I feel like I need to watch it again. I was a little, I'm not going to lie, I was a little disinterested during the first hour. It was a lot of like people reading books to you 
Yeah, yeah, the movie gets better. <laughs> yeah, and then it, once it kicked in, it kicks in hard. But I feel like I kind of want to watch it again to now that I know where it's going to maybe get sucked in a little more early going because it was it was kind of actively pushing me away early on. It's like um, yeah, it's like if you know there are snacks around the corner, like you're gonna enjoy your you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna enjoy the the journey a little bit more, you know? Yeah, yeah, like that old chestnut. <laughs> I'm just gonna keep I'm just gonna keep trying to come up with new uh new metaphors until one of them sticks. Yeah. Like there's snacks around the corner. What? Yeah, you know you know corner snacks? <laughs> no, nope. Um my job's uh, I don't know is that a work thing? Like does your job offer corner snacks? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But they always have to be around the corner so you can't look at them. Gotta keep your eye on the prize. What? it's a corner snack i don't even understand (laughs) i made this up you'll find out oh i see i see Um, so yeah uh so really quick uh chopping mall which is a ton of fun it is uh the the dvd i bought of it is one of those like it's included with uh seven other horror movies on like two dvds and uh that i got for five bucks and it wouldn't even play on my blu-ray player i had to watch it on my computer and it's a vhs dub it was perfect that is that movie. so sad. <laughs> it was. I mean, it was perfect. Like, absolutely perfect. Hellbound Hellraiser 2, which uh, was fucking amazing. I love the first one. It's one of my favorite horror movies of all time. Uh, I don't know why no one told me how good the sequel was. Maybe it's because reviews at the time pegged the, the effects as cheap. And it just got, it got slaughtered review-wise. Which is weird, because I like it almost as much as the first one. I'd actually, I'd give it the slight edge. It is so, so good. So, so good. And just amazing practical effects. And then I pushed my luck and watched Hellraiser 3, which is not good at all. It, they tried to make a Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy Krueger, Hellraiser movie, and ended up with a bad version of both franchises. And then finally, the last new one I watched was uh, Society, the Brian Usna film from 1989 which i'm not going to talk too much about because peter hasn't seen it but uh if you're listening holy shit go watch that movie right now i keep hearing about that this year a lot of people seem to be into it yeah it's it's kind of blown up i i had it on my list for next year which i weirdly enough started my list for 2017 (laughs) um but uh aaron's been pushing me to watch it now yeah i don't know how we're gonna get a year without me telling you about this movie so Uh, yeah exactly it is I can honestly say I've never seen anything like it. Awesome. I'm excited. Brian, I, I, uh, I love Brian Yesna. I actually watched, he didn't direct it, but I watched Reanimator this month. And it reminded me that I need to go check out more of his shit. He really hasn't directed that many movies. He did, uh, that you'd heard of. He, he's done, he did that. And then he's done like a Bride of Reanimator, Beyond Reanimator. And then a couple other ones. Like he's produced a lot of movies, uh, especially some, you know, early Stuart Gordon stuff, but. Very surprising. Like, he just did not... This was his d- debut, and he directed 1989. Didn't come out till 1992. Um, but it's it's fantastic. It is so fucking good. Um, yeah, I'll, che- I'll have to check it out. I heard it's, uh, it's one of those movies you just have to see to believe. Yep. So, yeah. So, my total count was 39 new movies, a total of 42 uh, horror movies over the course of October. My, yeah, my favorites were uh, Demons, uh, Carnival Souls, Society... And uh, Hellbound, uh, Hellraiser 2, and uh, probably the Jonestown documentary would be the other one. 
And then the worst two I saw were uh, Hellraiser 3 and Knock Knock. Yeah, I, uh, I'm glad you saved me from Knock Knock because I've been uh, trying to catch the high of Cabin Fever with, with Eli Roth for so long and I just can't can't get into his movies this month i wrapped with 58 movies total uh nine of them were rewatches so 49 new ones uh so i I had a couple of classics at the end uh yesterday and sunday american werewolf in london reanimator and poltergeist uh you don't need me to tell you to watch those because they're amazing and pretty well respected but uh one that i really really wouldn't want to push um is uh Uh, witchcraft through the ages and it's the sort of movie that uh i was like you know i'll get to it because it's important and then i started watching it the other day and i was just grabbed pretty much immediately and it, it it's uh one of the few movies this month i think that might make it into like my favorite hundred movies of all time it's gorgeous definitely watch just like with carnival of souls do not watch any cheapo transfer of Haxon. Do not. It's going to fucking ruin the movie for you. Watch the Criterion restoration of both Haxon and Carnival of Souls. It's worth the money. It's worth seeking out because the images are just so crisp and so beautiful, even though Haxon is like 100 years old almost, uh, just a little bit shy of a decade or a century old. And Haxon is just like a strange pseudo documentary and it's just got all this amazing demonic and witch footage that's you know still very creepy. The only thing I'll say about it is that the score is just like, okay. And I wish like, I, I, I kind of wish there was an easy way for someone to just rescore like the middle five segments. Um, Cause the first and the last aren't really scary. Uh, but the middle five segments with, uh, uh, some metal and some ambient or industrial music. Um, Haxon's great. I told you what I'm going to do for both Haxon and uh, Passion of Joan of Arc, f- score-wise, right? What are you going to do? Just Pretty Girl Rock on repeat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It'll work. I yeah. can't see a problem I think it's probably that. more appropriate for Joan of Arc, but, you know, yeah, we'll see. Probably. If it works there, I'm just going to do that for all silent movies going forward. <laughs> yeah, you know what would really help uh, is if uh, Rick sent you a bunch of weed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, not that Rick would ever do that. Rick is a responsible member and respects the weed laws of California. Absolutely. Also, I'm 33. I could get my own weed. Yeah, I would, yeah, I would, I would hope that at this point Aaron, <laughs> yeah, Aaron would have figured that out. Yeah. So. Yeah, but you have to like go to a parking lot or have an answer or something. <laughs> I know a guy. If you want to, if you want to talk to a guy, I have yeah. his uh, pager number. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's always his pager number. Yeah. yeah. Also, I could probably just get a hookup with Rick. He used to, Rick used to live here. Yeah. Rick's got a pipeline still. <laughs> Rick's got phone numbers. Yeah, totally. Um, they're all pay. They're all pay phone numbers that are out of order, but they're, they're there. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So other things. So I watched The Roost as well this month, which is uh, Ty West's first movie, and uh, or at least his first major movie, and it is uh, really, really awesome as a primal version of what Ty West would deliver on later with um, House of the Devil and the Innkeepers. Uh, it's slow burn horror movie with really great characters that are very specifically drawn, but they're not broad character caricatures. So uh, it's got real. It's got it's got this thing where like the the the, the shitty DV cam or whatever they shot it on would lead you to believe that it's uh, you know the performances are all going to be garbage, but there might be some cool monsters. Actually, like 
the monster effects aren't that impressive. They're just kind of normal. They work. Um, and there's a lot of sort of cheap trickery to, to make um, scenes creepy. There's just a really great score and really great performances. And those were the two things I did not expect out of such a cheap movie. Um, really, really liked The Roost. So uh, the two, uh, two duds that I watched this month, Bruiser by George Romero, which literally all I wanted out of it was a... A revenge movie or someone you know sort of slowly going down into a you know violent depressive spiral uh no it doesn't work as a drama it doesn't work as a horror movie it doesn't work as a as a thriller it doesn't work as like a sort of id level scratching revenge movie bruiser is a total garbage movie uh bummed me out uh and then not total garbage but really really disappointed me was lights out uh, I thought I was going to love Lights Out. I'm very forgiving of that kind of movie, just with a cool monster, you know, serviceable characters, that sort of thing. I actually hated every single character in the movie, minus Maria Bello's character. And I uh, thought that the movie didn't didn't utilize the monster in the most interesting way they could have. Um, I would love a, a Ouija 2 style sequel that sort of redeems Light, Lights Out and like gives that monster another shot. Uh, two big surprises as well. I watched The Editor, uh, which is an uh, Astron 6 movie upon uh, Aaron's uh, Aaron's insistence, which led me to watch Father's Day as well. Loved both of those. The Editor slightly more because um, Editor is actually beautiful. So it kind of aco- it, 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 it accomplishes the feat of both being an entry in the genre. It's parodying and parodying the genre, which is cool. And then uh, Halloween 2 by Rob Zombie really surprised me because I did not like the first Halloween movie very much at all. Uh, so I really liked Halloween 2. It's uh, I liked it more than Aaron. I think he talked about it earlier this month. And uh, yeah, it was it was like I half hated half liked. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, Rick, before we start talking about uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, tell us some of your highlights. I don't know if you did you do a big spooktober uh thing or did you watch some horror movies or yeah no absolutely i uh i did try and do it this is the second year i've uh, tried to give it a go last time was a really big failure just got caught up with stuff but this year i watched 31 movies so that's pretty fucking awesome just proud of myself oh yeah um, awesome although i didn't satisfy i did like the one of the ones you know there are like the different criteria that are floating around it's like you have to watch this many yeah. of this or whatever so i, I picked one of those and I didn't quite satisfy that. I missed out on um, one category, which was watching five films from either any of the above, Bava, Argento, Lenzi, Fulci, Henenlotter, Romero, or Stuart Gordon, in large part because I was trying to watch all new things. And like, I've watched a lot of Argento yeah. and a lot of Bava, so whatever. At the end of the day, I was like, you know what? This is, um, I feel like my, my mission is just going to be watching 31 movies, which I did. So good for me. I guess I I was attracted to doing it just because of the uh, I kind of like the the sort of structure of those kind of things. Like the challenge aspect is kind of annoying, where it's like becomes this kind of like I'm gonna do you know a hundred things this month. I'm gonna watch the most horror movies of all, you know. And um, uh, that's not what I was really looking for. But I do like the notion that it breaks it up and makes you think about what you're putting on your list and stuff. So that was fun. And yeah. I, and I also did it, so that's fun too. Uh, All right. So, yeah. So, Rick, so what did you – what were some of your notable uh, picks? Okay. Yeah. I mean, hands down, top of the list, uh, a film that you guys have covered in depth, uh, Possession, was my best horror movie of the month. 
Uh, these are all these were all first watches. Like I said, I didn't um, uh, go out of my way. Anyways, I think I might have actually watched a couple of things that weren't first watches, but I was just trying to trying to broaden my horizons, plug some gaps, and what have you. And uh, possession is amazing. Uh, anyone who hasn't listened to that show, go episode to ten, that show. episode <laughs> yeah. what ten? Ten. Yeah, yeah. Go listen to it. You guys are spot on. It's so good. Uh, so that was my yeah. favorite. I'm, I'm glad that you. I'm glad that you responded to it well because I'd be really bummed out. It, it, it got such a visceral, immediate reaction on the movie. I, I was talking to. Uh, I was actually talking to Ryan yesterday, and uh, the. I was trying to think, like you know, when you're a little kid, and you just watch movies over and over again. The only movie that I've done that recently with has been Possession. I watched it by myself, then I watched it for the show, then I watched it to show Ryan, and then I watched it again by myself all in like the course of a month, <laughs> which for how intense that movie is kind, kind of a lot. Yeah, I, I, like actually uh, when it was done, I really wanted to show somebody. So it's funny that you, you talked about that on the previous show. Like I was kind of thinking like, who can I fucking trick into watching this movie? <laughs> <clears throat> okay, so also a, a slightly fewer tentacles. I watched the one Romero film I did watch was Martin, which I'd never seen. Have you guys seen this? Yes, yeah, really I good. Love Martin. Uh, I, love I really, I really adored it. I didn't. Um, I walked into it not knowing almost anything about it at all, uh, which oh, I think was perfect. the best way to do it uh, because I didn't expect that it was going to be like an art house picture. I didn't expect that it was going to be this sort of melancholy view of potential vampirism slash mental illness. Like, it was complete... I thought I was going to get a Romero picture. I'm, no, I'm familiar with Romero largely from um, the gore stuff, you know? And uh, mm-hmm. zombie movies. So, it was, like, completely... It caught me off guard, which is a fun thing to have happen. That's I sometimes feel like we're so inundated with, uh, you know, background info about stuff that it's hard to be surprised anymore, you know? Um, and I was totally surprised by it. It was great. Um, so, among other things, I also watched Carnival of Souls and uh, loved it. I also agree with everything that you said about its inclusion in Rift Tracks. Lynchian, like Peter said, I really enjoyed it. And it's hilarious to me that it's gotten the Rift Tracks treatment. I really think that's undeserved and silly. It's, to me, it's like there was one time um, I was hanging out with friends and we were watching uh, Throne of Blood. And, like, me and my buddy just, like, for whatever reason, we were only half watching it, and we were, like, making jokes. And then at some point, we realized, like, you really shouldn't kind of MST3K Throne of Blood. Like, it's kind of insulting. You know what I mean? It's like, we just felt... Not everything deserves that kind of Yeah, we just were like... His girlfriend was like, dude, could you stop? Like, this is actually a good movie. (laughs) And uh, we were, like, embarrassed and and sad for ourselves. We are like, yeah, you're you're (laughs) absolutely right. I remember the first time because I, I, you know, Rift Tracks had just started and you could download those tracks. And I'm like, this is amazing. Finally, all these high budget movies. Like, I didn't care if they were good. I was like prepared to be. This is the best thing that could have happened, uh, you know, post Mystery Science Theater 3000. And I remember uh, doing Batman and Robin first, which was fantastic. I was dying. And then I did Jurassic Park. And about 30 minutes into it, I'm like, this isn't that funny. You can't mock something that's, like, amazing and good <laughs> and, like, make it funny. Like, and I know I know they've tried to say, like, it's okay to do Citizen Kane. We're still laughing at it. But I think that what ends up happening when everything you see is, like, if you're a hammer and everything is a nail, yeah, you start 
seeing good movies as shitty because you're just like you're talking down to them and you're constantly and so that's where like I do still like riff tracks and I do think when they have their like sights set on the right targets they can still have a lot of fun but anytime they try to do anything that's actually like a good movie like I saw the Starship Troopers one and it was just like they knew that it was satire and so they kept making jokes about how bad the satire was and it's like you guys are trying so hard to force this into your box and you're just making it completely unfunny and you're not doing it the right way and i imagine that's what seeing carnival of souls would be like yeah i I mean i don't know i haven't i haven't watched them do it but i like i enjoy the movie so much that the notion of people doing that is just kind of like come on guys it's also it kind of um it's like uh like older films in general or maybe just black and white films i don't know but uh just fall into this category where it's like it, it instead of like affectionate ribbing it turns into or seems to threaten to turn into kind of just like hipster scorn which i find really shitty but i don't know i haven't seen them maybe they're maybe they're fucking hilarious i don't know (laughs) i doubt it because the movie you know i like this is entrancing and creepy there's nothing goofy here there's nothing like house on haunted hill oh it's a skeleton popped out and that's supposed to be scary like um, I watched the Island of Lost Souls. Um, you know the uh, yeah that film with um, yeah I watched it Charles. Too. L- oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. So I really enjoyed it. I was with a, in a group with my roommates and uh, some other friends who had come over, and they were totally riffing on it. And I kind of like got into it too, and we laughed, and it was funny because there are really broad moments, and uh, it's yeah, easy to absolutely. see how that happens, you know. And but it was enjoyable. It was all in like good fun or whatever. But something with like Carnival of Souls, I'd be like, "Hey, can you guys quiet down?" <laughs> it's not. Yeah. It's not that funny. Yeah. It, it, see, the way I look at it is, those are both great points. But the way I look at it is just like MST3K was fun when movies wouldn't quite carry their own load. Like when movies would only carry the load sixty percent of the way. Yeah. And MST3K helped carry at the other forty. Like if a movie is completely carrying its own weight and is being like a fun experience in and of itself it doesn't need it doesn't need anything added to it and like i appreciate that like you know you want to feel like you're in a room with some buddies like that's cool but like just get some buddies in a six pack like (laughs) watch watch island of lost souls it's fucking awesome yeah no one was no one was watching red zone cuba ever before (laughs) yeah i mean because they they did a lot of movies where and this is a common experience where there's tons of Mystery Science Theater 3000 fans that don't quite make it through the episodes because they can't even carry the water for the movies sometimes. Sure, especially the early bad. ones, yeah. You know, you can only polish a turd so much. But it is true that, like... I'll, I'll polish a turd however much I want. Yeah. You can't. You're not You're not the boss of me. <laughs> Pretty soon you just have an empty hands full of shit. <laughs> the turd's gone. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. I don't, yeah, I don't so, know why I got offended at that. So that was a long, uh, unnecessary thing about how Riff Track sometimes disappoints us all. Sure. But but let's uh, – Yeah, so like, any other final thoughts on your uh, your watching, Rick? Yeah, I'll, I'll just roll off uh, a couple of more. The Fall, The House of Usher, uh, Jean Epstein's Silent from 1928. Fantastic. Should check it out. Uh, the Devils, Ken Russell's film, which I think, Peter, yes. you saw in the theater, yeah? Yeah, I saw it in the music box in um, in uh, 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 September, and I was blown away by it. Yeah, blown away. By super, it. super cool. Really liked it. And uh, I, I want. That was sort of like possession. I wanted to watch it immediately after, but you know, 
there's no real easy way to watch it. Totally. Uh, and then the last thing I'll mention, I was as like a surprise. I didn't expect to enjoy the uh, the 2011 Fright Night remake as much as I did. I thought it was fantastic. I had so much fun. I heard great things about that. Yeah. Actually, yeah, I need uh, to see that. Yeah, it I was. I, I, I watched. Original, I, I'd never seen the original. One of the criteria for uh, you know um, the Hooptober thing was an original on its remake, and I was trying to do ones I'd never seen before. I'd never seen the original, so I watched that and watched uh, the 2011 remake as well. And the 2011 remake is so good. If you're like a, it's written by um, uh, Marty Noxon. So if you're into Buffy or Angel or any oh, of the yeah. million other things that she's done. It's very like meta, self-referential, funny. It kind of scratches that itch if that's an itch you have. And uh, it's really good. Loved it. Thank you very much for sharing your, your Spooktober list, Rick. Mm-hmm. Even if you're weird about the word Spooktober. <laughs> <laughs> I, I prefer to call it haunted, scary, scare time. The month. It just rolls off the tongue. Yeah. We can tell yeah, you that'll right fit now. on a fucking T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I have a much longer one. I just I don't have it written down like right in front of me. Rick, you're a great writer, but the merchandising aspect yeah. you just completely passed. Yeah, out. I know. Don't go to don't go to my cafe press. It's really bad. <laughs> Nobody wants any of this, these accessories. <laughs> yeah, your, your your famous catchphrase. Here's some movies you may like to watch. Please check them out. <laughs> yep. Most of your shirts, you have to do a spin for people to read it all. Yeah, I know. I know. And I don't know why I made... Check out back. <laughs> so many so many neckties. Um, the whole necktie line was a terrible yeah. idea. <laughs> all right, guys. God. You want to start talking about the classic 1991 Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. <laughs> sure, it's been an hour. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Look into my I just shouted it out. Uh, yeah, so, <laughs> Peter, you can do five. You can do five. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, Robin Hood becomes Robin Hood, saves the day, marries the lady. Wow. I mean, you didn't even have to see the movie to get that right. Like, yeah. Robin Hood's pretty. <laughs> it's well actually known. funny because last time when we did Predator 2, you also just kind of like did the tagline. I think you did it again. Yeah. This time, we're <laughs> the Predator is in a new kind of jungle. <laughs> <laughs> this time, Robin Hood marries the woman. 
Yeah, I like <laughs> this I, time. I like the idea of the tagline being Robin Hood marries a woman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. That's a, that's a maybe maybe workshop that a little more. I don't know. <laughs> As opposed to the subversive 1938 Robin Hood. <laughs> and it was fine back then. The Magna Carta hadn't been signed yet. <laughs> <laughs> totally. It's, it's all okay. Uh, yeah, 90 second recap. Um, I, I'm not even going to need 90 seconds. We'll just do it's the Robin Hood story you all know minus the arrow shooting contest uh plus a witch plus um a black guy yeah that's true yeah there's a the, the story behind that is very strange morgan freeman's include included yeah inclusion in the movie was very strange because apparently when they were put, putting this movie together they thought that they heard some version of the story that had a um is an Arab or a Turk character? Where's the? Where are they? Where in the Crusades does Robin Hood get caught? Yeah. Uh, okay. So he's caught in Jerusalem. I, I actually researched this really in depth. I don't know if you really want to hear all my research. I, I I absolutely do. But before we do that, let's tell our personal experiences with the movie before we start talking about. I have a feeling the Morgan Freeman character is going to take up some of the time of this podcast. <laughs> That's uh, true. So a, let's um. Yeah. Yeah. So let's. Let's talk. Let's talk about our personal experience uh, with it first, and then our feelings about uh, this rewatch. So I can go quick. Uh, this used to be on the first time I ever made a top 100 movie list. Uh, this was this was on it uh, in high school. I loved this movie, and it kind of came out at perfect time. You know, 19, 1991. It, there was like four things I loved at that age. I was eight years old. I loved Robin Hood. I loved Peter Pan. I loved the Ninja Turtles, and I loved Batman. And I'll tell you what, it was a perfect fucking time to love all of those things because they made live action movies of all of them within a sure, two year time yeah. span. They made uh, they made the Batman movie and, and all these things like I discovered from other things. Like I was watching the 60s Batman TV show because it was on after kindergarten. And so then they made the Batman movie and it was amazing. Robin Hood, every kid knows, like Peter Pan. And then all of a sudden Hook comes out. Like it was like the perfect time to love all those things. And this was right there in that milieu. It's like they made this cool live action Robin Hood movie that uh, followed the story pretty well, but then also added like tree forts. And I'll tell you what, fucking the hook was another one. The early nineties loved tree forts. And I, as a kid could not get enough uh, because I'm actually starting to wonder if at least 25% of my love of this movie wasn't like, I'm going to go live in that tree fort. Yeah. Tree forts are awesome. Yeah. They had the hidey holes. Like it, it was awesome. Plus weapons. I think most kids just aspire to be monkeys anyways. <laughs> yeah. So it, it just kind of makes sense. They should have called this movie Swiss Family Robin Hood. <laughs> don't, don't don't encourage him, Rick. This is where we insert 30 seconds of silence. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I'm editing. That, 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 laugh, that laugh was meant to be mildly ironic. <laughs> oh. But yeah, so, uh, so I watched this a few times in high school and college and still liked it just as much. And I, I'm a pretty big uh, Kevin Costner defender. In general, are you? Uh, but I, yeah, I am. Uh, I think why? He, I I like him. Like he he plays a very specific <laughs> role really well. Is it is it this one? It is absolutely not this one. <laughs> Although I would have up until this rewatch, I would have said that it was this because here's what here's Kevin Costner's sweet spot. It's a ne'er do well who kind of doesn't want to do his shit, and then eventually. Um, 
you know, kind of pulls it together, almost reluctantly does whatever mission he's supposed to do. That's he's good in Bull Durham when he eventually mentors sure. Tim Robbins character or Field of Dreams or Tin Cup or he and he and he has a list of a, like he has a pretty long list of like good movies that he's good in. Uh, there are some, and then there's exceptions to that that he's also really good in, which is like uh, a perfect world where he's just a, you know, he's just kind of an asshole. But even that guy does the right thing at the end. Uh, yeah. Upside of anger, he's really good in that as well. So hey, like he's, a, he's, he's a, supposed to like kind of ooze decency. Yeah, yeah. It's like he's like but, a decent yeah. Yeah, open range too. Like he he that that thing of like the ne'er do well who reluctantly does his job or does whatever he's supposed to do or do the right thing. He's he just he kills that and he's in a ton of good movies playing that character. And I actually think Robin Hood fits that mold. Robin Hood as a legend was kind of the reluctant person who didn't want to be the thief and the good guy. But, you know, the sheriff of Nottingham or Prince John uh, eventually forced him into a life of crime. And, you know, then he kind of goes about and saves the day. So I can actually see, like, on a broad level, besides him just being a marquee name, I can see why they're like, hey, this character actually kind of fits in Kevin Costner's, like, character sweet spot. But holy cow, he was so, so much worse than I – like, it was like everything that everyone had always said about Kevin Costner in this movie. Like, it was like I saw it. Again, I'll use the they live glasses. It was just, huh. A mannequin could have done that better. Like this yeah. was this was bad. Uh, and there's are these little moments where like he drops the accent and just basically plays a Kevin Costner character where you can kind of like that are fun. Where he's just kind of like go do this, go do like he's not trying to do the accent. He's trying trying to ooze some sort of like nobility and uh, and and those little moments you could kind of see how he could have been better in this movie where if he had just kind of played a Kevin Costner character with the same tone, the same cadence, the same type of dialogue, I think it would have been a better movie, but him, it it doesn't help that he's trying to do an accent, which he should not be trying to do. Is he, is he, is he though? (laughs) Sometimes he is. Sometimes he definitely is. But also the dialogue that they give him throughout this movie is fucking terrible uh and i think that's why a lot of people don't come off well um and alan rickman the guy who comes off the best like if you read about the trivia he turned this part down twice and then eventually agreed to do it when he could say and do whatever he wanted yeah so he it's not just that he can do an english accent for obvious reasons it's also he didn't have to follow this fucking terrible dialogue everyone else has to so uh so yeah so i'll tell you what though i still like I still liked it. I didn't dislike it. Like it has some fun action scenes. It's I still like seeing tree forts. Uh, Alan Rickman's awesome. You're never going to convince me that slow mo shot of the arrow flying with the fire is not fucking great. But <laughs> it, um, you know, and and Kevin Reynolds is a really good action director. Like he kind of got a short shift after Waterworld, but like if you saw his 2002 Count of Monte Cristo uh, movie, like he he does a, he can do a really good job. Uh, and I think a lot of the action scenes are good, but yeah, the dialogue's terrible, and Kevin Costner leads a cast of people that are trying to do things they shouldn't be trying to do. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a great long history that's going to be paired with my short history. Uh, I loved the Robin Hood Disney movie as a kid. Uh, I was born in 1991, so when this movie came out, I was Jesus not a person Christ. yet. <laughs> do you do you think do you think that your parents conceived you watching this movie? 
I would hope. Would do you think it was uh, during the scene where Kevin Costner is bathing? <laughs> it was definitely during Brian Adams' Everything I Do, I Do It For You. <laughs> well, that doesn't happen until the credits. I bet it was during that earlier bathing scene. It, it's one of those things where it could be at any point because my parents are easily aroused. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it gross. Be, it, it could have been any. It, it could have been anywhere. <laughs> Because this was 1991, baby. Yeah. This is, this is the crazy. Yeah, the free yeah, love decade. Free love and the Gulf War. Could have been, could have been Friar <laughs> Tuck just showing up. Yeah, yeah that was just anything. Threw them over the edge. The More like Friar <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> you know that the one, but you know the one thing that probably derailed any uh, sexiness that could happen during this movie is uh, the romance between uh, Maid Marian and uh, Robin Hood. I don't. I don't, rem- I don't remember that at all. Is that part of the movie? At the, the, at the end of the movie, it reminds me of when you take a Barbie doll and a Ken doll and you smash their faces together. And you're just like, now kiss, because it's just like, oh, yes, they were. Hey, you try to kiss with Sir Sean Connery watching you, <laughs> because you know you can't uh, yeah. do it as well as him. So you're uh, gonna be you're gonna be all up in your head. Totally. I. But no, I. Uh, so what happened is. <laughs> I, I was I was not I was uh, three months old when this movie came out, so I uh, was too young for it. And then it has lost all of its cultural cachet since it yeah. came out. Like uh, yeah. so, the bottom fell out really quickly on this movie. Yeah, this wasn't something that my dad was eagerly waiting to get on VHS. Right, like th- this was something that he might have seen in theaters uh, and then been like, "Oh, that was a movie." And then next summer, the next thing came out and he, you know, whatever, Ghostbusters 2 came out or something. And he was like, oh, I'm going to buy this on VHS. Like the, my, my childhood was not tied to this movie at all. So that was back when VHS has costed $120. So you could only buy one a year. Yeah. They were like, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's, yeah, why we, that's why we had two VCRs. Everyone, yeah. everyone you rented, you just fucking make a copy. Yep, absolutely. God, that's that's an insane thing to think about because, like, uh, what Aaron was just talking about, like, yes, it was a shitty collection, but like, it is what was it like six dollars, eight dollars for like eleven movies just thrown in your face? Oh yeah, like, my parent, my parents were really like fucking, you know, like do there they still are like do right, do right people. But as far as piracy goes, they were like, nope, two VCRs, man, we're going to Blockbuster. Gonna rent two, get one free, making a copy of all of them, write the title and masking <laughs> tape, stick that on there, and uh, put it on the shelf. Also, like, $100 to a kid is, it might as well be a million dollars. And I remember my dad was, like, bought Dances with Wolves, and I saw the price tag, and it was, like, $119. And I was like... <laughs> well, it is a really good movie. Well, I was, I was like, no way. Like, I thought it was fake. My dad's like, yeah, that's how much they cost. And I'm like, this is insane. This is like all the money in the world. <laughs> we no rent these for a dollar. I know. Totally. Yeah. Ugh. All right. And Sorry, it, Peter. And you totally get why now – you totally get why now people who were of that age uh, sometimes are just crazy and like they go to Best Buy and just buy like, oh, this is $6. I have to buy this. <laughs> totally. Like one of my one of my friend's dads used to be like that. He'd just be like, I got to buy everything. I got to buy them all. <laughs> Someday they're gonna jack the price up again. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna realize their terrible mistake and make it six hundred dollars tomorrow. It's true. Barrymore movie's never gonna be four ninety nine forever. It's like, it's like <laughs> when the price of gold drops and everyone buys. 
<laughs> and then I'm going to pay $150 for a copy of Never Been Kissed. Not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> strike, strike all the irons hot. We used to pay 30 or 40 bucks for DVDs when they came out. Now they yeah. give them away. Yeah, totally. And your DVD, well, they, they completely changed that because by the time VHS was done, they were giving out free DVDs with DVD players. Like, we had like a bunch of movies in our collection. I was like, who bought City of Angels? I know primarily for the Cuckoo Doll song, which also maybe brings up in relation to this movie as well. Movies aren't as associated with pop songs as they used to be. <laughs> no, indeed not. It's totally true. Especially like, <laughs> they just, they just like release the album a year before the movie came out. Like it was supposed to, like the GoldenEye soundtrack was supposed to tide me over because I didn't have a VHS copy of GoldenEye. Like what am I supposed to do with that? Like am I supposed to imagine, especially the inspired by tracks? You're like, get out of here. This is not even in the movie. Peter, like you were were in utero or whatever, but when this fucking movie (laughs) came out, uh, that song was everywhere. Brian Adams was the king of the world. Because of this fucking movie, it was inescapable. Like long, long before Kevin Costner's bare ass ever assaulted us. <laughs> so, Peter, uh, yeah, do you want to finish your uh, your? So, this is the first time you saw it. What were your overall thoughts? Um, my overall thoughts were that it was not nearly as bad as I had heard. The accents were as bad as I I heard, but uh, it, it brought up a lot of interesting. Th- thoughts in me that like what do you do because there's what do you do when you are supposed to be doing some sort of accent because like a modern english accent is not what people sounded like in 1500 or whatever there's a social acceptance that like we have like we're like if you have a british accent it kind of just works at any point in history but that the british accent is not really that much closer to what they were saying in 1500 than what an abnormal American accent is. And this movie is a really great lesson in uh, half measures. He, Kevin Costner kind of does a British accent and he also kind of does an American accent. And so it's awkwardly in between. And the movie has lots of aspects of that that are kind of awkwardly in between, you know, really style. It's awkwardly in between really stylized fights and really grounded fights. And, but I, I overall, I really enjoyed um, the movie though. It is, it does feel weirdly compromised. And I wonder how much of that was just um, it being edited to shit. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't know. You know, one thing that was interesting is, though, you know, we talk about movies now and we complain about how they make these kind of overlong movies where they try to connect things that aren't connected and try to make them darker than their original. And this movie did that in a lot of ways. Like, it's two and a half hours. It makes Will Scarlet and Robin Hood have an unnecessary familial uh, connection. And while I wouldn't say it's like... a weird addition. Yeah, and it's and I wouldn't say it's grim dark, but it's super like '90s edgy, where it's not it's not as it's still playful, but it tried to do some stuff like add the witch in and have the you know weird rape scene that I'm or attempted rape scene that I'm sure we'll talk more about, and these little things that were like, hey guys, we're we're edgy, like we're we're hip. So it, it, but which is still like I think the version of grim dark of its day. So it is funny that like these trends that we complain about now, like overlong, everything's connected, darker interpretations. This, this is that, and this is you know, twenty five years ago. 
Yeah, and it's but it's just uh, edgy by '90s standards. Like there's that's a, what I that's what I mean. Like it's not. Yeah, yeah it's it's it, not. Which seems so quaint. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it does just seem so quaint by by modern standards. Where like the new I didn't see it, but the new Robin Hood looked like before every battle scene they like rubbed mud on their faces and then murdered their firstborn to give them joy in the next or to give them a uh, uh, luck in the next battle like it looked so grim and gritty and all like i think a lot in a lot of people's mind the robin hood story is errol flynn or bright that, uh, and yeah bright yeah, green or that, or that fuckable and... fox the 90s version of edgy is just that they talk about satan a lot yeah <laughs> they like that the the implication is that uh Robin Hood's father was a Satanist. Yeah. And like, really? you know, and Christian Slater's Christian Slater and there's a witch. And so just those like little that's that's like 90s grim dark. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah. So, Rick, so why don't you walk us through uh, your history with this movie? Well, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, uh, this is one of the, I think, three movies I've ever seen at a drive in. Yeah, like we were just saying, the the Ryan Adams song was ubiquitous. Um, And I remember being really excited to go to this because it was a drive-in. It was a double feature. The second feature was another 1991 release, Mobsters, starring Christian Slater, also, from uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, uh, along with his compatriots, um, Richard Grieco, Patrick Dempsey, they were like Lucky Luciano. Do you guys know what I'm talking about at all? Or am I just like talking into the void? No, no, no. I'm vaguely aware. I think Aaron would be more qualified, though. Actually, Aaron was only eight when this movie came out. But I worked at a video rental store, though. I'm very familiar with mobsters. Yeah, yeah. Fucking poster. So, so mom, mom, it, uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and Mobsters was a double feature at the drive-in. I was uh, 12, coming on 13 years old. Big fan of. Brian Adams at the time. Um, who wasn't? Yeah, who wasn't? And I was an even bigger fan of drinking Keystone Light beer in a parking lot with cool kids. That um, was the name of Brian Adams' fifth album. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. still waiting. Basically, to get my young to life was essentially uh, Brian Adams. Yeah, you got your first uh, real six string at the five and dime. Yeah, I did. I did. We went to the five and dime before the movie, and I got a six string. And uh, then we went and saw Mobsters and uh, Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. And I tried to hit on uh, 20-year-old girls who were not interested in me. Um, So that was a really formative experience. Yeah, you know, like, it was super popular. I think it was, like, the second biggest grossing movie of 1991. Is that true? It was. Yeah, Terminator 2 was number one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was huge. It was ubiquitous. And uh, Kevin Costner with his mullet was was everywhere. So that's like my association with it. And I never watched it since that drive-in experience uh, until just the other day. And what were your thoughts 25 years later? I, I thought it was much worse <laughs> um, than I remember it. But I think at the time I wasn't really paying any attention. So that probably helps. It's probably a better movie if you only watch it every once in a while. Like yeah, you were in the aura of Keystone Light and College Girls. So. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was like trying to talk to somebody and I was like throwing up over in the corner. And then <laughs> Kevin Costner was swinging on a rope and firing a fiery arrow. You know, that was the, it, yeah. was a, it was a good time. You know what also I didn't realize? You know that fiery arrow he shoots? It goes right into a dude's face. Yeah. That's, fuck, that's fucked up. Like, I that's always thought ass. that was... 
that was going to be like cutting, you know, somebody was going to be like falling down. Like he's going to, the fiery arrow was going to liberate someone. But no. 90s edgy. Yeah. Imagine like the fox from the Disney version just being like, I'll shoot him in the face and I'll drink the blood. (laughs) It just wouldn't, it, it just doesn't compute with, I think. Aaron was saying a minute ago that this is the the '90s edgy version of of the story. It just I don't think that this movie necessarily competed with what people thought of the character at the time because it was such a, a clean, proper version of this of the story. Uh, worth noting from the '70s version though is that there's a, I mean there's an attempted rape in that one too in the Disney one. Is there? No, of course not. <laughs> Because, yeah, I mean, seriously, like, the opening scene, like, the whole notion that this film is PG-13 is a little odd. It doesn't feel like a PG-13 movie to me. Like, it opens with hands getting cut off and people getting set on fire and, you know. I'll tell you what, the grossest thing, and this is grosser than anything I watched in Spooktober, is the blood spit fingernail thing that goes on for fucking ever. Like, that should be an NC-17. Yeah, that's there's some there's some shit in here that you're like... Who who approved this as who a PG thirteen four? Yeah, because it's it's not quite kid appropriate. It's like perfect, I think, for like a thirteen year old with a lot of Keystone Light in their uh, in their system. Yeah, and, um, I, and I loved it. I was like a big fan. I, I think I liked it better than Mobsters. Even whoa, whoa, yeah, better than Mobsters, the movie that we all still talk about to this day. <laughs> Uh, it's kind of hard to remember but do you remember that a couple years later there was a movie called um it's hard for me to remember because it's so obscure goodfellas but you remember how everyone just talks about mobsters all the time and like nobody even remembers that that piece of shit movie goodfellas and you're saying that robin hood prince of thieves starring kevin costner is a better movie than i mean i don't want to besmirch the good the good uh name of richard grieco but yeah i feel like (laughs) I feel like it's how it, that's I mean, how it was. He's still making hit after hit today. <laughs> yeah, everybody's like, let's go see the new Richard Grieco movie this weekend. Bring the He's ladies. starring with Nicholson, Freeman, Grieco. They're doing like the basket bucket list type movies. All, the, <laughs> all of our favorite actors from yesteryear. Yeah. But call up Skeet Ulrich. Let's see what he's up to. A Skeet Ulrich? <laughs> yeah. Wasn't he in Monsters? I think we should all pause to recognize that we let a na- that name become a movie star. But anyway. <laughs> um, he was not in Mobsters, I just confirmed. Um, but yeah, it, it's, a, it's a strange thing because a movie, you were talking about it strangely having a PG-13 rating. The movie feels like a half measure between a, it feels like a half measure in a lot of ways. Kevin Costner's accent. The violence is both like kitty at times and kind of vicious at times. Like Alan Rickman is sort of like campy, but other characters are really grim and dark. Like it, it can't quite decide if it's like a swashbuckling, like free loving kind of version of Robin Hood or if it's the if it's basically like a Braveheart style thing. Yeah. Alan Rickman does a good job playing like Caligula as the sheriff of Nottingham, which is kind of fun. Yeah, he's he's the best actor in the movie by far. Yeah, let's so let's 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 get two things out of the way because it feels like we're, we're going to talk about them. Let's 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 just do it. So there's two things that I think are the most potentially controversial choices of the, in this movie. One I will defend, and one I will not. 
Uh, so let's get the one I won't defend out of the way. Um, it's super dumb that they decided to have an attempted rape scene in this movie. Like, and I don't think the movie, we, we say this a lot, that where a movie can fall down on a rape scene is when they don't take it seriously and they absolutely don't take what's going on seriously. It's gotta be the the least serious rape scene. I can No, and it's the big finale. Like your big action finale is like overshadowed by the villain trying to rip off uh the heroine's uh pants and fuck her while she's trying to be saved by someone. Like yeah, it's but bad. not but not just that, man. Also, the the witchy mom gives him a pillow to put under his, her head. That's uh, yeah. a humorous moment. Yeah. Um, he kicks her legs apart. Another yep. slapstick, and, and it has a shitty sound effect. A sound, shitty sound effect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Yep. Good. Good joke. He makes a he makes an impotence joke for some reason. Yep. Um, about how hard it is to get hard. Yeah good stuff <laughs> it's it's so it's so strange because i yeah it's so strange because because it doesn't go anywhere and in this way so i understand the complaints about game of thrones and how blase they are about rape but at least like that tonally fits the awful universe where people are getting like stabbed in the throat on camera and stuff like at least that tonally fits that universe and they don't really make jokes about it this is way more offensive to me where it's like yep a rape just might happen. It might just happen in this big goofy family movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> totally, especially yeah. when like, especially when the guy's like, "I always wanted to have a noble daughter," and I was like, "Whoa, whoa!" Or is it? So he says, "I always wanted to have a noble woman." And you're like, no, "No," and his mom is there to touch her belly and be like, "She's right." That yeah. Happens. Oh my god, that's so, so fucking gross. gross. That fucking so happens. Gross. Yeah. It's yeah, it's it's the fact that they don't take it seriously. It's the fact that like I'll I'll even dismiss the fact that the 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 accusation that hey, this is Robin Hood, this is a family f- uh film. Obviously they were going for PG-13, they were going for a darker version, which I think you can make the argument that's dumb to do for a Robin Hood movie cuz kids are going to want to see it, but fine. You were going for a PG-13, you were going for something more adult. Like you said that doesn't fucking matter when it's like you're making a joke out of, well, let's hope the hero succeeds or else this uh, woman we've been rooting for the entire movie is going to get brutally raped by this monster while uh, while her his mom roots them on uh, for Satan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's so strange. So, so in that regard, the movie is rather unwoke. Uh, if you pardon the expression, uh, it, it's not. It's, I will not. I will not pardon that expression. <laughs> it is not. That is not aged well at all. And I, I'm curious. I didn't read any reviews at the time. I'm curious if that uh, that passed the, the muster with people at the time. No. Um, everything that I read, no one called it out directly. Uh, I didn't read a ton, but they did complain. It was the complaint that it was why add adult so many adult situations into. Uh, kid movie so there wasn't as far as i could see like direct reference to hey maybe don't make a joke about rape during your big action fun finale it it was it was again that that thing that people do all the time where they rape and assault is not sex it's violence and i think they had a bigger problem with the fact that oh this is a sexual thing in a movie instead of like way worse than that yeah Yeah. i mean from the stuff that i read uh 
it definitely did not get called out for that. It got called out for a number of other things, but not so much for that, except in the context of uh, that kind of weird uh, schizophrenia that um, you were referring to, Peter, um, of like of tonal, a jarring switch between tones, you know? It's like, okay, is this is this funny? Is this scary? I don't know. Like, why is Alan Rickman in a totally different movie than everybody else? Um, and that sort of maps onto that scene where it's like, this is actually a horrible thing that's transpiring, but it's also being played as a gag. And I feel like that was kind of the objection in term, instead of, you know, it's reprehensible. You know? And that's the thing is like, we all, I, I'm sure all of us at one point have talked shit about movies being overly grimdark, you know, like, especially like when it's completely hollow, like in the new Batman versus Superman movie and so, it, in a lot of big superhero movies, especially where things are just artificially bleak, but at least a grimdark version of this, which I haven't seen the Ridley Scott version of Robin Hood. I imagine it's awful, but at least in a grimdark version, there wouldn't have that be this. There wouldn't be as much tonal disparity because you the movie would sort of be visually communicating that awful shit can happen left and right. Braveheart before Braveheart gets to all the the. Before it gets to all the prima nocte rape stuff, it, it, it establishes that this is a violent world and, you know, the Englishmen come and take whatever they want and women just happen to be on the list. Don't have sexual assault in your Robin Hood movie. If you do, take it seriously. Yes, yes. Um, and so, yeah. I it, seems like, it seems like a really, really basic, you know. Yeah. It seems like they could have pulled yeah. that off. Here's here's the thing. All you had to do in that scene is don't make it that he's trying to outrun having sex with her till Robin Hood gets there. Make it that he's trying to quickly get the marriage done. Which which you know is silly anyways cuz it's like what what's gonna, like by modern standards it's going to feel silly cuz you're like well, Robin Hood's going to come in and murder this guy, so it doesn't really matter if they're married or not or like Well, exactly, but yeah, have them trying to say the vows and get the rings and do that. Sure, like, but that, I mean, that's essentially the Princess Bride scene. It's essentially yeah, exactly. uh, the graduate scene. Like, oh, you know, we're familiar with that notion. Like, it could have worked. Yeah. They could have done something that wasn't yeah. so uh, quite so rapey. Gross. So, so yeah, so let's, let's, talk, let's move on to the other thing. So this is actually the one I will defend, uh, which is the inclusion of um, Azim, Morgan Freeman's character, who is not – I did a ton of – attempted to do a ton of research trying to – uh, figure out if he had been in any real other versions of the story. And it looks like he was in some, but nothing that was really popular. Like, he was clearly an addition for the most part to this movie um, in order to have representation. Um, so, so, Rick, you said that you looked into this a little bit as well, right? Yeah, yeah, I did look into it a little. Um, I mean, the thing that's, you know, they're just really kind of confused on top of... Uh, there's a number of elements on which they're confused, but like <laughs> the whole notion of Saracens, Moors, and uh, other folks from abroad is just kind of coalesced into this prologue um, where he's in a prison. I don't. Do you guys know who's in charge of that prison in Jerusalem? That's what I, don't. I asked. Yeah, was it? It's on the road to Jerusalem, but the Crusades were a multi-continent thing. Like I don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know exactly where he gets ca he gets caught. It looks like maybe Turkey or modern Turkey. Yeah, I think it might be a Turkish prison. In which case, they would be Turks, and that's what the opening um, the thing says. The the first title card is like you know you know Richard the Lionheart led the Third Crusade 
to reclaim the Holy Land from the Turks and so on and so forth. Which is actually not true. That happened a hundred years prior to that. But it just like sort of like plops it down into this notion of I don't know, like yeah, Turkish domination. And the whole movie, it's like kind of hilarious to me because everybody but Alan Rickman seems to act as though they're in some sort of historical saga. But they're really not. Like, things are so fucked up. In terms, I I know that we all hate like you know oh uh, cinema sins or whatever you know like uh, everyone's screwing up these details, but there's like crazy crazy stuff that goes on in this movie where they're just like I don't know let's all throw it together. It's like kind of um, becomes like a, a slapdash sort of thing, and uh, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know where that prison was. I guess. Morgan Freeman is a more a Moorish guy locked in a Saracen jail, or maybe Turkish. It's really unclear. Yeah. He was getting up to mischief somehow, and like that's that's as much as the movie needs is that he got caught uh, trying to sleep with a woman, or is that just his idea? Do we do we find out what what he what he gets he, caught for at all? No, no, they have that one conversation where it's about this woman who you know he fell deeply in love with. But then they just, like, decide they don't really care about that. And the movie proceeds, I think. <laughs> yeah, and then Morgan Freeman at the end of the movie is like, I did your shit, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, okay, so, but just for, like, one fun historical gaffe, like, my favorite shit is the thing with the telescope. Remember how, like, they can see the telescope, they use the telescope to see the approaching armies? Uh, and I think it's supposed to be Azim, Morgan Freeman's character, is, like, way ahead the Islamic world is way ahead with stuff. Uh, and that's why he has this telescope. And that's why Kevin Costner is so startled by it. But that was 500 years prior to the invention of the telescope, which is pretty big. You know what I mean? As far as like, you know, alighting things go, that would be like having a, you know, in the middle of Barry Lyndon, someone take a cell phone call or something like, yeah, that's a yeah. long in terms of time. Technology, it matters. Yeah. Well, it's important to understand public education. No. Um, no. Um, I, 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 didn't, I didn't mind it because I thought the telescope scene was funny, first of all. Like, I thought it was legitimately uh, – Kevin Costner, again, plays befuddled very well. And so when he just could not gra- uh, wrap his head around the telescope, I think that's funny. And it also led to one of my favorite lines of the movie, which is uh, when Morgan Freeman tells him, how did your uneducated kind take Jerusalem? And Kevin Costner says, God knows, <laughs> which, yeah, I, it, it, which I thought was, was funny. And, you know, I think they had some potentially racially insensitive stuff, uh, as all movies from, you know, the 90s probably have. But I did like that they attempted to, like, hey, let's have some representation in this movie and let's make him, like, smart and capable and, like, he, he's not a joke. Yeah. And they even kind of address some of the, you know, the painted man stuff where he's like, there's a lot of like defending him as just as, as that you should look at his skin color. And some of that's clumsy at times, but like, I feel like they swung really hard to be inclusive in a way that movies at the time weren't always. And then give that character a lot of agency and capabilities and then treat him with respect and address the elephant in the room. So. Yeah, I totally, I totally respect that. I'm sorry. Can I just get it? Can I yeah, respond yeah, to that? But yeah, like I totally get that. But my problem actually is rooted right in that, which is that they take it to ludicrous extremes. Like he delivers a baby, 
He knows how to do everything. <laughs> He's like an obstetrician. True. He's like fucking uh, scientist. He invented the telescope. Like Kevin Costner gives speeches about how everyone has to unite no matter what's in their blood. Um, like the no, he, like Marion, like twenty Englishmen or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Marion at the start is like a fucking feminist, kickass character, although not at the end. But like, she's still it, she's still she a little starts, capable at the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I was yeah, paying attention she, yeah, to that. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. But so like, it's it's like bending over backwards for this particular kind of narrative that actually started grading. It started grading on me after a while. Yeah, it's it definitely has problems. Like I'm I'm definitely like it has problems. I agree with you 100%. It goes into a little bit more like, you know, this this strange man can do everything because they're magic, you know, the old magical negro thing. That happens. I just I'll give way more credit to something with its heart in the right place sure. even if it fails miserably from 25 years ago. It's getting a participation ribbon for me, but it's still a ribbon. Like good effort out there. I can, I can, yeah. I can see that shit. Yeah, we talk about that a lot in the show. Where uh, it's, it's when you're talking about stuff in a specific cultural context, it's good just to, to hand out uh, brownie points kind of liberally. When you're like, oh, this movie was made in 1990 and it has something to say about rape, whereas every 80s movie we watch, rape is just something that happens and it's scary and then it goes away and nobody addresses it. Like, it, it's good to hand out brownie points for movies that actually do something interesting for the time and yes obviously this is veering into like magical negro territory where he's not just he's not just a black guy he's not just you know a north african black guy he's uh (laughs) he's a scientist and a doctor and an expert uh you know soldier and all that but i give it the points because of a it's a he's treated as an equal to Robin Hood. He, you know, chooses the quest for himself, even though he's, you know, let off the hook. And B, he's uh, he's a Muslim and the movie doesn't make fun of uh, his his uh, his non-drinking. Um, the movie sort of teases him for praying instead of helping Robin Hood. But it's sort of as like the fight is played off as sort of a comedy moment. So it's not really like. That, that offensive to me but in general just the representation is sort of sadly better than it would be today you don't really see muslims in movies as as sympathetic people in post 9-11 at all like i thought by now we'd be kind of over that but it's well if anything it's getting worse yeah it's kind of hard to find a like Muslim characters in movies that are not, you know, ashamed of their heritage. Like, just the fact that, like, or just are normal Americans and are dealing with, you know, their religion and how it clashes with their life at, like, any other Christian character would. Or or there, maybe their religion isn't that important to them, like a, a, um, the main character of The Night Before. Like, an HBO original show ha- did something, like, cool with having Muslim Americans in America. And I couldn't think of any recent examples, even in movies where there was just a Muslim American family. And that was just what they were. But yeah, so, you, so it gets, it gets a little bit of brownie points. I will, I will mention the last thing I'll say about it is that, um, you know, we still had a freak out last year when they made, um, uh, Johnny storm in fantastic four, uh, played by an African American person. Like they, they don't really try that. Like all these, like, White myths, King Arthur, Peter Pan, 
um, Robin Hood, they, I, as far as I know, like they stopped trying to like add sort of different ethnicities into them to go almost in the Hamilton way. Like who gives a shit? Like let's, let's, we don't have to make this movie filled with all white Englishmen or all white people trying to pretend to be Englishmen. So it still kind of feels a little bit, I'm not going to say revolutionary or anything like that, but it seems like something you still don't see all that often where they take these white people myths and, and still try to add some people of color into it. Yeah, it's a massive discussion. And I was sort of rambling there for a minute because it's there's so many facets to it. The Because you want to have diversity and representation, but you also don't want to have, you know, their 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 strange foreign differences be the only defining character. Yeah, ideally you'd like it to just be like little John is played by a person of color and that's no one says anything because who gives a shit? Like that's yeah. the ideal. Yeah. Or Robin Hood for that matter. Like, you know, that's that, – that you're not – <laughs> It wouldn't be any more ahistorical than what already happens in the movie. <laughs> and also, like, who cares? Like, one thing yeah. that I think Hamilton did a great job of, like, who cares if an African-American is playing George Washington or Thomas Jefferson? Like, you don't yeah. need to – you don't need to cast based on color. So, yeah. Like I said, I agree. It's, I agree. It's, it's great. I agree with Rick. It's grading. But I'm going to hand out a few brownie points just for having the character even just a Muslim represented – and actually casting a, a you know person of color in the role and all that. Yeah, yeah, I agree with all that stuff. Um, I don't know. It just the sort of <clears throat> bending over backwards for this particular variety of crowd pleasing. I guess it goes to a deeper thing in the movie for me, <clears throat> which is it's trying to be all things at the same time. And yeah. oh yeah. That's that's more the issue, I suppose. Yeah, it's got it's got some fakey Hollywood bullshit up to 11. <laughs> Like everything, it's supposed to be a fucking feel good movie as far as uh, representation goes. Although I think it kind of bungles that, and it's supposed to be like a romance that doesn't really land, and a swashbuckling picture, and um, this witchy thing it's supposed to be kind of horrifying, I guess, and a kids movie, but also get their parents there. I don't know. The whole thing feels a little mercenary, I suppose. It is. And you know what? I totally forgot that they did not have the um, try to shoot the arrow shooting contest. And I missed it. Like, I know yeah. it's dumb that like, oh, we're going to have an, uh, a, a contest and whoever's we're going to know it's Robin Hood because we don't know what he looks like in this version um, because it's going to be the person who shoots the arrow the best. But you know what? That's like one of the big moments of the Robin Hood mythos for a reason. Like it, ha it's the, you know, splitting the arrow moment. It lets him escape the castle. It's like the first confrontation between the sheriff and Robin Hood. And you don't really get a full confrontation till the end. And their yeah. version of it, which is like the, they're going to hang all of these people and they have to save them. Like there are moments of that scene I like. I like the way the plan keeps falling apart because Kevin Costner is really good at like, oh, fuck. That really – that didn't work out well. Like those facial expressions and <laughs> as they're trying to like figure out what to do in yeah. the in, – in, as everything's crumbling around him is really great. But it, it it's missing that like that is the, 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 the arrow shooting contest is the big moment in the middle of the Robin Hood story and it's missing that. And I don't think the sheriff comes and burns down their village is a, a suitable replacement. Well, isn't it odd? Like, I, I just found it really odd on a rewatch that uh, they're – it's like they have a history, uh, the sheriff of Nottingham and yeah. Robin Hood. 
And he's like, ah, the prodigal son returns. Which is a complete misreading of that story from the Bible, but that's neither here nor there. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know. And it's not, not a very good book. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. He's, he's got a lot of torturing to do. He doesn't have time to read. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and then all this other stuff happens. And Robin Hood's just like, all right, this is my land, but I think what I'm going to do is make an Ewok village with you guys. And it's like, why? <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, it's it, everything just feels a little fucking random, I guess. Still, though, great, great Ewok villain. Yeah, no, it's really it's cool. <laughs> I, I, it's I super think, cool. I think it actually that was a big part of why I enjoyed the movie the first time was I, I simply wanted to go uh, walk on one of those drawbridges. That's what I wanted yeah. to do. Hey, hey, Hollywood, maybe more tree forts in movies. I don't know what yeah. happened, yeah. but they're great. Kids love them. Kids yeah. love them. <laughs> Yeah, like, uh, what if uh, what if more movies took place in a tree fort? You guys say a funny thing. <laughs> <laughs> what if Inception took place in a tree fort? I mean, you guys riff on that. <laughs> oh, tree my God. So the angles on that tree fort would be fucking crazy. <laughs> uh, oh, man. There we go. Okay. But yeah, it, the, the, that big battle sequences all worked for me and kind of helped drown out the um, mawing mediocrity that would happen whenever we were supposed to buy Kevin Costner and uh, Maid Marian that was a romantic couple or whatever. Jumping back to Morgan Freeman, I really bought the Morgan Freeman-Kevin Costner relationship in this. Yeah, they have a better chemistry than uh, Maid Marian. Much, much yeah. better. Much better. They, they should have just dated at the end. It would have at least been earned. Totally. Then it would be. Then everyone would agree it was super progressive for the time. <laughs> totally. <Yeah. laughs> the, the one missing, the one thing missing movie. Movie. Uh, never mind. Go on. But like, so people uh, complain about. Uh, people complain about you know the SJW stepping in and uh, and putting their their agenda into movies and games and TV. But like that is ob- objectively would have made this movie better if uh, <laughs> if those two just fell in love at the end. Because there is little to no reason for us to believe that Maine Marion and Robin Hood are in love in this movie. Apart from if you've read other Robin Hood things and you're just carrying a lot of water for this movie. Well, they both have yeah. really they both have really nice hair. That's enough for me. So yeah. we'll- <laughs> it's a it's a it's a weird thing but yeah i don't i don't want to rag too bad on that because i think a lot of it has to do with um so kevin costner wanted to do an accent and apparently uh the director disagreed with him so kevin costner also had a script that kind of called for more hoity-toity middle age uh or sorry hoity-toity medieval sort of sounding dialogue which would sound better out of a british uh accent <laughs> Uh, and so he's kind of in this awkward limbo where some scenes he sounds a little Britishy, some scenes he sounds straight, <laughs> yeah. up, straight up American, and he, he still has to say these really really clumsy lines. Like there's a there's a scene where uh, one of the the tree kids gets uh, surrounded by Michael Wincott and some other of uh, you know King John's or sorry Prince John, Sheriff Sheriff Nottingham's uh, men. Uh, he gets surrounded by some of them and, a, and he climbs up a tree and it basically the line is, oh, it takes, takes, uh, six of you people to, to, you know, beat up on a kid. But instead it's like, oh, one must be hunting a mighty no. large prey <laughs> to be able to take, <laughs> like, to just, just, yeah, it's right, it's right, it's right, it's as soon as they get back to, uh, Dover, yeah. 
Yeah, and that that is the worst scene for both accents and dialogue. Oh it almost feels God. like it was shot in order, no. and someone saw the dailies and were like, "No more of this." Absolutely, yeah. absolutely not. The worst, the worst scene uh, in terms of dialogue. And I know I, I don't want to just beat up on this movie. Whatever, that's not the intent of this podcast or you know our lives. But uh, yeah, <laughs> we're uh, not <laughs> The fucking. The, Kevin Costner's inspirational speech where he's standing on that log oh, and yeah. convincing everybody. Okay. Oh boy. Just saying. He's like, uh, he's like, what do we need that the forest cannot provide? Yeah, you're 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 100 right. I withdraw my previous statement. That is so. That is so. Gr- oh my god, it's so bad. We'll find safety and solace in the trees. That's what he says. <laughs> yeah. So that's that sort of reminds me of. Um, so there's that scene, and then there's an earlier scene where who's Christian Slater's character? Yeah, Will Scarlet. Uh, Will Scarlet's like, we should turn him in. And he'll get us 500 gold. That's a unit of measurement that you guys all understand. It sounds like a lot of gold. It'll um, feed us for a month. Yeah, it'll feed us for a month. And uh, then uh, Robin Hood is like, nah, and he shoots an arrow through his hand and all that. So that he has a speech there, and then he has a speech um, where he's like, yeah, he's trying to inspire everybody he's standing on the log. And um, it reminds me of what The Walking Dead has tried to do, but keeps failing at doing, where um, they want you to be like, hey, he reminds me of Rick so much at that point. Because you're like, he is literally pushing you all into a suicidal battle against a superior force, and you have no choice about it. But you're like a ragtag group of rebels. Um, And Walking Dead fails at that, but at least it has the core (laughs) idea of like, this guy might be fucking insane. (laughs) (laughs) We we have no armor, but they have armor, the guy says. And then he ignores the fact that that also implies they have no armor. And he's like, we can absolutely find the holes in their armor, which is really not an answer at all. It's not going to be a concern. We can make 50 swords in like an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Just (laughs) pile them over there. We we built this Ewok village overnight. Surely we can, you know, shoot an arrow through a tiny hole in a piece of armor. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, He says, the actual quote is, he says, uh, I think it was, but they have suits of armor. And you know what we have? Bravery. You're like, that's... (laughs) That, that doesn't work. You, you are basically you basically just gave the speech that the person gives on Game of Thrones right before they get their head to lop off. Like <laughs> they have, they might have the weapons, they might have the land, they might have the advantage, but we have courage. there's a reason there's that line in idle hands where seth green's character is like don't fucking bother with a kevin costner speech let's just go that seems (laughs) like that seems like directly commenting on this movie uh specifically because he didn't he didn't really give that many kevin costner speeches but this one has a has a couple i kind of want to circle back to um Peter, what you were saying about him like writing his own dialogue and insisting on doing an accent, because it should be noted that this was the first movie that he did after he won the Academy Award for Best Director for Dances with Wolves. I imagine he was completely insufferable um, on the oh, set. yeah. And the fact that he like had all these things he was doing that the director disagreed with, which also another interesting fact is that the director and uh, Kevin Costner worked together again. Four years later on Waterworld, and Kevin Costner either um, made Kevin Reynolds quit or got him fired because he was he was trying to do so much stuff and then finish directing the movie himself. So uh, they kind of have a history of just Kevin Costner doing what he wanted on set uh, to the point that 
uh, in their next uh, collabo, uh, the director quit over Kevin Costner's uh, attempts to take the reins from him. Well, it's, uh, it's the old uh, the old Kevin pact. Yeah, Kevin <laughs> Kevin's work together. That's what they do. The Kev the Kevins that work together stay together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Because I don't think Kevin Costner, as much as I like him in a lot of movies, I imagine he's a prick in real life. I think that's why he plays a prick uh, in movies really well. Um, and the fact that he votes Republican only backs up my statements. Um, yeah, he seems I, – I, I agree with you. I bet he's yeah, a terrible know, man. Yep. And we know who he voted for in that swing vote. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah, so what – let's let's wrap this up with some – Final scenes that we want to talk about are just um, just things that we liked. I know there there is a lot to make fun of in this movie. It's it is too long. It has a lot of bad choices. It sh- it wears its early nineties on its sleeve. Mm-hmm. Um, All true, but but I mean there is. I think there's some st- like um, it, it does have a few good lines of dialogue. The call off Christmas line is like recognized for a reason that's uh, yeah alan rickman is like he is in a different movie <laughs> and, i guess i guess um, that's so really funny. what it comes down to for me um in the interest of finding you know the silver lining here attempted rape scene aside which is really unfortunate alan yeah. rickman is a ton of fun in this film he's the actually only person who seems like he's having a good time at all and it really comes through and uh he's got some pretty got some pretty hilarious moments yeah, I don't think there was a better choice for uh, King Richard either. Like, th- that that's a great fucking cameo. How amazing would it be if every movie uh, didn't have Sean Connery in it, but at the end of it, Sean Connery just comes up to uh, to congratulate the heroes for winning? <laughs> just like every every movie at the end of it, he's just like, you did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would have been that would have been great in United ninety three, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> oh man you guys know oh, no. you guys know how much he was paid for that you wanna, oh, do you want to guess it's a quiz at the end 500 gold pieces a quarter a quarter <laughs> of a million dollars he gave holy it holy cow he gave it to charity apparently although i don't know what charity <laughs> probably the the defense fund for beating women <laughs> it, it could be it could be. I don't know. God, that's that's insane. And he was probably he probably did Bruce Willis shit where he's like, I need you to set this up so I can be off set in three days. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah, sure he was I there he, for a day. Yeah, he was there for a single day and he made two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. It's a big deal. Can you imagine? Yeah. Even if he made thirty thousand dollars for one day, can you yeah. even imagine? <laughs> I made in one in one day I made what a minimum wage person in ten years will make in a in a year. <laughs> Like, At this point, I'm just like people are like, "Can you imagine?" I'm like, "Yeah." yeah. <laughs> What's this I mean? The, you know how much that is to in today's money too. Yeah, I know it would be. I'm that sure would it's be more. At least more. <laughs> yeah, definitely more. <laughs> we got we got uh, three finance majors on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're majors. We're not. We haven't graduated. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, I also really yeah. like I like uh, the scene of Friar Tuck killing the priest. Um, uh, yeah, sure. The the Satanist thing. What'd you guys make of that? So the when uh, Brian Blessed gets murdered, WLTW uh, return uh, return uh, actor <laughs> Brian Blessed gets murdered. Uh, he gets surrounded by a bunch of Satanists in cloaks. Alan Rickman just has like a harem of Satanists. I guess harem is not the correct word. Like a, a, <laughs> it's a different different thing. Uh, a cabal. Yeah. A cabal. A cabal of Satanists. Yeah. 
Uh, Guys, he, ev- everyone had just seen Paradise Lost. It was the big thing. <laughs> <laughs> this movie feels w- is way too Christian for what year it came out. Like, <laughs> it does not yeah. feel like a Gen X movie towards they're, Christianity. They're just trying to be like, you know, oh, there's like the nature worshipping witchy crazy lady and then there must also be satanist i guess you know yeah I, yeah but i did i did really like the scene of like friar tuck being like here's all your gold just kept giving it to him <laughs> pushed him out mm-hmm. the window like that's great and then there was a yeah there's a corrupt church and shit it's actually on paper it's got a lot of shit that i like which is like corrupt church in bed with the government and the leader is secretly part of a weird cult and and a witch is helping guide him but the witch can't see you know the witch can see 10 feet in front of her but not two feet in front of her like that sort of uh, all those those tropes i really like um which helped help slide me through things but it also made me like feel made me curious about the ridley scott remake and i'm like it's probably not a good probably not a good inclination to have. <laughs> i don't i could i don't know if i could have less desire to see a movie than i do the ridley scott remake of robin hood i just want to see how badly he botched it like i feel like there's a good lesson in there like i, I i'm a big believer that like every movie can te- every bad movie can teach you a lesson i feel like there's got to be a lesson in that movie like so what was the lesson from robin hood prince of thieves um, if you, uh, if you put rape in your movie, then make your movie really rapey or not rapey at all. Yeah. Don't put rape in your movie. Yeah. yeah the- that's a really great thing. You know what? Just don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's make a moratorium. Actually, this is probably unfair. Let's make a moratorium. You can't put rape in your movie unless, uh, the, the creator is a woman. Yeah, that's great. I also think maybe a five page, uh, treatise about your reasoning. You know, yeah, uh, exactly. bolster you that justify shit it every time. Yeah, bolster that shit. So tell me why. Or I'll tell you what, don't put rape in your movie unless the movie is specifically about how bad rape is, because you don't need it casually inserted into anything. Even if you even if you take it more seriously than this movie does, you don't need to use it to raise the stakes or. Yeah. in a fucking Kevin Costner Robin Hood movie. Yeah. And. Unless your movie is specifically about the horrors and psychological scarring and, like, things that will change you forever about sexual assault, just don't do other things. Cut off a finger. There's no stakes that you're going to raise well yeah. with that. Yep. So, you guys want to run into final thoughts? That was kind of my, my final thought. I think, it's a, I think it's a really fun movie that's hampered by a really strange sense of tone and um really clunky performances but the battle scenes are really fun i could see liking it yeah. um in that context yeah rick do you have any final thoughts on uh, robin hood uh, men in tights uh yeah <laughs> uh so i feel like we've been really down on this movie i i want to end on something positive it actually is despite being two and a half hours long which is way too long and i'm already fucking <laughs> trying to be positive uh it's it's uh it's actually pretty entertaining i watched it again with uh with housemates and friends and we all kind of marveled at its its sort of doofiness and stupidity but it's you know the action sequences are pretty well done slow-mo flaming arrow yeah flame yeah exactly flaming arrows and you know um battles of of contrived good and contrived evil and whatever. And Alan Rickman is actually really, really fun when he's not raping anyone. And, uh, like, uh, you know, it, it was, it was a pretty enjoyable experience. I guess my main takeaway was that I couldn't believe 
I guess as a young person, I didn't actually watch the events as they transpired in succession. Like, I just wasn't paying attention and doing that, which is how one generally watches a movie. Um, I was struck by how the pieces didn't fit. It was trying to do so many things at the same time that uh, it was was kind of a puzzling viewing experience. But, you know, it's uh, it's got its moments, and, um, you know, it could be worse. (laughs) Uh yeah, you know, I still think I still think most of it's a lot of fun. This is like a perfect Saturday I'm hungover movie, but I'm not going to fall asleep for at least two and a half hours for my nap. Um <laughs> I'm going to put this on and it's going to keep me entertained. Like it has a one especially as we've talked about at length, seriously misguided scene. Um gross scene, just just miscalculated on every level execution conceptually. Um, but you know, it, again, it has, it has fun action. I, I actually think this movie just would have been served better if they just took out all of their attempts to be edgy and just told the Robin Hood story, even with the same cast and the same director, because while I still think that you'd have some dumb, like, oh, maybe Kevin Costner shouldn't be Robin Hood and maybe this English accent is boring. I think that that movie holds up better because all the stuff that doesn't work is its attempt to be early 90s and make changes and the stuff that does work is when they let like the merry men have like a montage of them robbing rich people and all the clever ways that they're doing it so uh, nothing's gonna beat the errol morris version but i think this movie overall works better if uh if they if they didn't try to make so many changes that just kind of look silly uh both for their attempt to be dark and for their taking out some, in retrospect, pretty vital components to the Robin Hood uh, Robin Hood story. I think that's a perfect wrapper. Uh, so yeah, so Rick, thank you so much again for uh, for joining us. Uh, we can't wait to have you on again when we get to maybe pick a movie that we'll all all love. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we are we are talking about doing a silent horror month, so uh, I feel like that would be right up your alley. Mm-hmm. Oh well, that's that's uh, totally up my alley. In fact, on uh, for the Hooptober list, I was supposed to watch one silent film, uh, one silent horror movie, and I watched uh, eight. So yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So what do you have to plug? Where can people find you? Uh, no, still just basically LudditeRobot.com. That's the thing to check out. Um, also there on Facebook and Twitter. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's mainly what I got going on. And you appeared on episode of Swamp Flicks, right? Yeah, I was on the Swamp Flicks podcast and I was on, um, uh, Marcus's Jean-Claude thing. It's a Jean-Claude, Jean-Pod Van Damme. There we go. Yeah, I remember it was exactly. a pun. John- I couldn't remember where it was. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I've been <laughs> exactly. on. The, I've been on that too. We never plugged it on this show. Uh, and Peter's going to be what on. Did you, what did you, What did you talk about? I talked about Aaron. sudden uh, sudden impact. No sudden death. Oh. <laughs> sudden death. Right on. Oh my god, I couldn't even sudden death. Yeah, I talked about sudden death, and I think Peter's going to be on in the near future too. Uh, what are you doing? I'm talking about uh, Universal Soldier Regeneration, uh, which is uh, oh, man. There, there are like two, maybe three good Universal Soldier movies, and uh, I'm doing one of them that I actually really, really love. Anyways, I really appreciate you having me on. Um, I'd be happy to do it anytime. Super fun. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, we hope you had fun. And uh, yeah, we will have you back on again. Next week, we have uh, Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, and then Tom Peeler will be joining us to wrap up the month with The Rescuers Down Under. 
Uh, very change. Very, this whole month is changes of paces. So yeah, changes <laughs> of paces. God, this is like so, a, so a many pace changes. Change. <laughs> yeah. Pace change. Pace 2016. Yeah, pace change. 2016. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we need a new name for this podcast. We've gone almost 18 episodes without changing it. Yeah. So, yeah. So, thank you so much, everyone. <laughs> Let's just get the fuck out of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good night. Good night, everyone. Cheers, y'all. Folks, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. If you want to get in touch with us, please reach out to us at either our website, WLTWpodcast.com, or our Facebook group, facebook.com backslash We Love to Watch. And uh, yeah, reach out to us. Give us some feedback, give us some support, uh, suggest movies for the show, all that. We are also available on SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher, and iTunes. Thanks for listening.